Every student is unique. Every student learns differently, and every student matters. This is Idea Exchange, the future of K-12 education series, brought to you by Macmillan Paston Smith Architecture. What's your reaction when talking about money and school funding for K-12 public education? Do you believe in the merits of public education, or do you just roll your eyes every time you see that tax bill show up? Every year, Americans provide, through their taxes, around $700 billion in revenue to fund around 56 million students in 84,000 public K-12 schools across this nation. This includes revenue from multiple sources, federal, state, and local taxes among the largest contributors. Are we utilizing those dollars to their highest potential in education? Today, I'm joined by Melanie Jeanette, Chief Financial Officer for the School District of Chester County. Prior to joining Chester in that role, Mrs. Jeanette served in various audit and financial positions at the South Carolina Department of Education. For more than 24 years, Ms. Jeanette has been involved in public finance and public education. Mrs. Jeanette is also a member of the South Carolina Association for School Business Officials and currently serves on the board as legislative chair. She served the association as its president during the 2016-2017 year and was named the association's outstanding school business official in 2020. We hope to understand how schools are funded and the policy decisions that affect the individual student and the families within each one of our communities. Melanie, a big thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Ben. It's my pleasure to be here. Many may not realize this, but so much of education revolves around funding. It's very often misunderstood as to where the money comes from and how uh, operations of a school or a district uh, are funded. Could we start perhaps by demystifying that for us uh, a little bit? Where does the money come from? Okay, the money comes from basically three large pots. Local tax revenue. There's also some penny sales tax from the state, which is considered local revenue. Then you have state revenue, which is you know the basis behind the majority of the funding that a district gets, like the Education Finance Act, the Education Improvement Act. So those are two large pots of state funding. And then there's federal funding that is supplied to districts through the U.S. Department of Education and the U.S. Department of Agriculture for food service expenditures. With all those different revenue sources, how, how does that accumulate to a, an individual student? Where are those percentages, so to speak, uh, coming from all those revenue sources? Well, to, to follow up on that first question and then to give you some percentages from a Chester standpoint, right now, Chester alone has 15 state-restricted pots of money. And I say restricted because it is given to a district for a specific purpose. You don't just get a pot and are able to spend it for anything. It is ha- has a restricted purpose. We also have 19 different individual allocations for programs un- funded under the Education Finan- uh, Im- Improvement Act. So there's a lots of different pots of money, a plethora of federal ones that I know we'll talk about later. But just to give you an idea, Chester's overall funding percentages are 38 from the local percent. This is across all of our funding streams, 51 state and 11 federal. The largest pot, which is our general fund, our general operating budget is $52 million. Those percentages are 40% local, which is our taxes, 59% state, and 1% other. Gotcha. No federal money in the general fund. Wonderful. 
So, you know, that's that's really the revenue side of it. Um, and, and that's kind of the basis mm-hmm. of where you start your budgeting process, mm-hmm. yes. uh, of course. Um, but where you allocate the money is often uh, a, a chance to either disagree, agree, or try to find a different direction for um, a school district to kind of go towards. Um, sure. So how is it spent? Where, where are the, not maybe the percentages, but how do, how do those funds get distributed into each one of the things that you spend money on uh, yearly? Well, as you probably know, the largest percentage of any district's expenditure levels are salaries and benefits. We can just talk about the general fund for, like I said, it's $52 million budget. But of that percentage, 76 of that total is strictly salaries and benefits. Now, is that everybody that's funded through the district? No, because our federal folks who work on our Title I programs and our USDA for food service and other federal programs and some even our Education Improvement Act funds those salaries are in those, but the bulk of our funding in our general fund, 76% goes directly to salaries and benefits. So there's really no play and no wiggle room with that money. Um, 13% is on purchase services, and that's things that we pay somebody else to do for us, like our power bill. We pay Duke Power for our bill. We have a contracted uh, cleaning service. So those are those kinds of percentages. And then sal- supplies. So Actually, that budget's only 5% because we've got other budgets. And then we've got um, 6% other, but we in Chester have a, a charter school. So that money is paid out through the general fund and what we consider an other allocation. Right. Well, you mentioned this a, a little bit, and maybe we can dive a little bit okay. further, is is uh, strings attached to, huh, some of yes. those, yes. Uh, to some of those dollars. I think that's uh, an important factor that many of us don't think about. Uh, but you can't just spend money uh, on any operational thing that the school district needs in any given month, in any given year. It has to be purpose-driven. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about those Absolutely. those restrictions? Absolutely. So let's take, for example, um, I'll think of an EIA. No, let's use one of our state-restricted pots. It's actually funded through the state's general fund, but we receive money for nurses. We can't use it for anything but nurses couple of others, I'm going to use an EIA one, um, work-based learning or a school-to-work transition, which are funds directed specifically for students in high school as they move toward deciding whether they want a career in a you know, vocational field or going to a four-year college or they want to go straight to work. So those are dollars directed specifically for those purposes. So it's not like once we get the allocation, we can just spend it on whatever we want to. And we have a bunch of accountability measures, and districts have to adhere to an annual audit. And the, the auditors are going to come in and say, you know, why'd you spend it on this? You can't. So we are tied to those strings that you mentioned. General fund is the one that's got a little bit of wiggle room because that's the general operating. But those state restricted and EIA ones that I talked about, they are strictly, and federal, of course. I mean, you can't just get a bunch of federal money and spend it any way you want to. Sure. There are strings attached and guidelines for all of those. And I think that's that's wise, right? I mean, checks and balances, oh, transparency. And you mentioned that trust and, and accountability uh, for, for the funds, for the dollars being spent. Yes. Um, I wonder... You know, have you seen any trends over the years you've been involved with public education about where that becomes a little burdensome as far as operating a school district or even improving a school district in some way? 
There are things that I may need in Chester that a district like Richland too may not need or vice versa. Having, if we had a little more flexibility in our spending, we could spend on what Chester needs. There's a move afoot um, prior to COVID, which we can say with, with just about anything right now, there was, um, there's action being taken on a new funding formula that will basically say, okay, district, here's your money. No matter whether a child is in Chester or Richland too or Allendale or McCormick or wherever they are, it would be a set per pupil amount. And every child would generate that amount of money. But the needs in my district are going to be different than the needs in another district, but this would give us the flexibility. As a matter of fact, I went and testified last year when we first started talking about this in front of a legislative subcommittee. We'll take the flexibility, but we'll also give you the accountability. We're not scared of accountability. We have a bunch of audits. We have a Fiscal Accountability Act we have to follow. We're not scared of the accountability. Give it to us and let us spend it the way it's best for our district. Sure. So, what, And I think you're bringing up the point about equity because the formula um, that has been provided for, for the state um, tries to do that. I mean, it, it, it actually tried to do that, but what has happened maybe is not the end result is, uh, of the intended consequence that it started from. So talk a little bit. Formulas are really complex, yes, right? Quite and, they, complex. And, and there's one for every different funding stream. Exactly. All 19 pots or yes, 15 yes. pots. However all, many there are, yes. However how many there yes. are. There are lots of different mm-hmm. uh, formulas. So, so how do you unravel that into something that's a little bit more sensible but also understandable? Several years ago, and I say several, I was at the Department of Education, and the legislature implemented some additional what they call add-on weightings to the Education Finance Act, which is the base funding for education in South Carolina. They added a poverty weighting. We had never had a weighting for students in poverty. Chester's a highly poverty-stricken district. There are others. I'll use a quick example. Um, When I was at the State Department, too, the um, Beaufort County School District was so rich, they got no Education Finance Act funding. They're, they were fully funded through local, through their taxes. And that's that's not fair to anybody. You know, that's not fair to the citizens of Beaufort County. Um, that's, not, that's not fair to anyone. So it helps to have that poverty piece. Um, you know, there's also high-achieving student allocation. So you've, if you've got a high concentration of students who are in advanced placement and um, dual enrollment and uh, gifted and talented programs, you're going to generate a little bit more money. But some of those smaller districts have a tendency not to be able to afford the programs that might be funded through those. So there is an inequity. We think this funding formula that's maybe introduced, and it may be another year or so once we get through covid would certainly help those districts because they could take and concentrate on the programs that they need to serve their students. Well, that was going to be my question. So, how do you? <laughs> when do you get there? How do you? How do you get there? And what the status of that is? Okay, um, when we when we last talked <laughs> with um, Revenue and Fiscal Affairs um, with the within state government is actually the the office that is working on the funding formula, and me and a couple of other folks have been integral in helping them kind of understand what it is from a district side that they could help improve on. It was hot and heavy. It was going to be introduced in last year's uh, legislative session. 
And on March 13th, the bottom fell out of our world. Sure. Um, and so it's kind of been put on the back burner. I expect it has not been discussed at all this legislative session. I expect it probably will be revisited next year. And basically it takes all the pots of money, every pot of money, excluding federal, that um, a district gets, puts them in all one pot and says, here, district, you spend it the best to, of, of your ability based on the programs and the needs that you have in your district. I'm really hoping it does come back up next year in the 22 legislative session because in the long run, it is going to benefit every district. That's great. I mean, I, I think what we're talking about mainly is how do you fund education yearly for that student in that school? One thing we haven't touched is is how do you improve the building or how do you offer different programs um, in there? And I think what I understood from what you said is that about 90% or more is going strictly to uh, wages and, um, and compensation, yes. uh, benefits, uh, and the operation of, of a school. That's correct. Um, so that leaves very little by my by my very <laughs> rudimentary math uh-huh. uh, that, that schools can actually maintain their buildings and improve their buildings uh, over over the long haul. Um, so when that happens, um, you're just covering no- normally just yearly expenses of a school district. Where do districts go uh, or where do they think about uh, funding or how do they think about funding when, when things like growth occurs uh, or when you need a new school? or even when you have an older school that needs significant repair uh, or even maybe replaces um, uh, that existing school with a new one. How, um, how, how is that structured in South Carolina? Let's touch Um, growth first. Sure. Um, And just a little bit of background on how we're funded and when numbers are updated. Um, Education finance act is funding beginning in the year based on the prior year student counts. We are updated at the 45th day and the 135th day. So if a district sees either a loss or a gain of students, they have to wait to one of those reporting periods. One of the things um, that we do not currently address in funding, and I'll use my neighbor to the north in Fort Mill in York County, they grow hundreds of students every year. There is currently nothing available statewide that gives them money to start the beginning of the year. There's no growth factor built into any state um, funding mechanism. They've got to wait until that next reporting period. So what is Fort Mill forced to do? But use their own local money. And that's that's difficult sometimes. Richland, too, is the same thing. The, some of the Lexington counties, um, Beaufort, Ori, those larger districts that see an influx of students from year to year, currently have no factor built in for growth. So you're always playing catch up. That is correct. That is correct. But let's talk about buildings. Um, Most districts are going to have a capital improvement plan or a long-term maintenance plan. And maintenance is going to be, you know, fixing a door or um, fixing a lock or repaving a parking lot. And I I use those because those are some of the things we're in the process of doing now before year end. Um, but the only way to pay for large capital improvements is two pieces. 8% debt capacity, which means this is how much a district can issue in bonds without a referendum, but it takes longer because there's typically not a lot of room, or a bond referendum for large capital um, building projects. 
Gotcha. Um, and, and I know um, just by working with a lot of school districts mm -hmm. in this regard is that school districts just simply don't have that luxury in the private field uh, where, where you can run maybe large yearly deficits or take on large amounts of debt uh, without first voter approval, as you said. Right. Um, as you've described, though, the, the yearly revenue does not even come close to putting mostly a dent in, the, in, in, in making those improvements and sometimes not even in the maintenance uh, of a building. After years of shortfall, you're usually left with that condition, that one um, small amount of 8% revenue mm -hmm. uh, available to a school district or a, a voter-approved um, initiative uh, to get improvements passed. Are there reoccurring themes uh, that you see? I know you've been through that process mm -hmm. before. Are there, uh, when you go and speak in public um, and try to try to make the case for why it's so important to fund education in that way on the on the on the improvement side, on the big improvement side, are there reoccurring themes or misunderstandings that folks just don't know about when it comes to financing? Um, big improvements for a school district? Absolutely, and and I'll share a couple of thoughts with you, Ben. Um, if a district uses their 8% money, let me back up a little bit too. Several years ago, even before I got to my current district, um, the, the, the board voted on ensuring that every child had the necessary technology to do what they needed to do in the district, be it testing, um, it, projects, Whatever they we made a concerted effort in Chester to actually make sure that everybody had the necessary technology they needed. Well, we currently use our debt capacity. So there's you take a certain percentage of your assessed value of the whole district, and that's how much you can get every year. Remembering though that there's current debt sitting out there that's got to be paid first, and then anything you've got left over, you can assign it for those specific projects. That does not require voter approval. That is a constitutional debt limit. That districts can use. So if you want to do something large, it could take you several years to do it. If you can continue to maintain other things like, you know, some smaller capital needs and a technology initiative like we have in Chester. And a lot of districts are doing that, especially now that everybody needs a tablet or, or PC of some kind. The other way, of course, is to go to the voters for a bond referendum. The misunderstanding, I think, Part of that is, the first question, of course, is how much is it going to raise my taxes? And in many instances, it's going to go out for 20 years. So it's not going to have an annual large impact, but it will have an impact. There's no way you can build multi-million dollar buildings without a tax increase. It just can't happen. But getting out there and explaining to your constituents to help them understand the reason you need them. Like, for example, Chester has had the, the it's been really nice. We've had multi-million dollar manufacturing firms move into Chester County over the last few years. And while they don't necessarily generate revenue for the district because of other, like, fee in lieu of taxes and things, they bring people to eat in Chester, to live in Chester, they bring children for our schools, and large manufacturing um, plants and their folks from coming from out of Chester County want to see improved schools. Sure. Not just educationally, but the physical structure of a school. They, it takes money. 
Right. And the only way you can do those large projects is through a bond referendum. Right. And just helping get out there and make sure that everybody understands. You know, and, and we can't – there was a misnomer before, and I'll go ahead and talk about it, um, that, well, once you get that money, you can spend it any way you can. Uh, no, we can't. Once we sign on that we're doing a bond referendum, it has to be for the projects listed in the bond that the voters vote on. And that is simply all we can do with it. Well, and I think the the, the thing you said about just your yearly um, calendar, too, as far as audits and, and transparency, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. those don't go away just when you have a different revenue source no, like a bond referendum. Not at all. Um, you have to not only list what you're doing, but there is auditing of, of that function, is yes. there not? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we have bond counsel and we have, um, you know, all kind of folks who are looking over our shoulder and, and know that we can only spend it for that. Right. Well, my watch, we're not going to spend it wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> not going to spend it wrong. Are there any other factors that you can think of that are that are just more informative to to someone who's thinking about a bond referendum in their district or even that citizen who's who's on the fence about um, voting yes or no to an initiative? I think what I have found, of course, you've got to have community buy-in. You've got to have conversations. You've got to get folks in your buildings. You've got to have these conversations. And what I have found is and, and I'll admit, my, my expertise is on the state and federal side. Now, in five years, I've learned a lot about the, the local tax side. Is bring in an outside expert. Bring in bond counsel. Bring uh, financial advisors in to talk to your boards, to talk to your communities, and help them, help the constituency understand that, yes, this is a large amount of money. You know this. You've built schools all over the state. It is a large amount of money. But in the big scheme of things... Not only is it helping improve the lives of the, the community, but it's improving the lives and educational abilities of the students in that county and school district. Right. You know, switching gears just for a moment, I, because I think, um, you know, that's normal year, right? These are things that you probably deal with every, every year of your career. Yes. We're just coming through, as you mentioned, uh, an abnormal year, COVID-19 has simply uh, done a lot of things to schools over over the course of 2020 and 2021. Um, and there's a great deal of funding uh, coming uh, to state and local governments as a result of the most recently passed recovery bill. Yes. Um, how does that affect uh, main, maintenance and, and improvements going on in your school district or any district mm-hmm. for, for that matter? Well, I'll tell you what we've done, and I've talked to people all over the state. Um, it's a lot of money. But the biggest thing that concerns me is it's one-time money. Right. It is non-recurring money. As a matter of fact, we're currently using four pots of money. Or we'll find out about the fourth pot pretty soon. One expires in 21, one's 22, one's 23, 24. So when those years are gone, the money's gone. So if you have, I like to say, bought salaries and fringe in that, You've got to do something with it. You either let those people go, understanding that these could be time-limited positions, or you put them in your general fund, which is going to cost money. Sure. And it's going to add to the general fund budget of the school district. And we have heard legislators say, well, we're not going to do this because you've got all that federal money. But trying to make them understand, that's fine. But it is non-recurring money, and throwing non-recurring money at recurring expenditures is a bad thing. Now, the third pot of our CARES money, 
is a significant amount of money. But we can do some significant repairs and renovations, much needed um, HVAC repairs for air purification systems to ensure that buildings are clean and there's clean air running through those buildings, perhaps flooring upgrades and get rid of carpet that we're Viruses linger, you know, floors that are easy to clean. So those are kinds of some of the kinds of things that I think districts are looking at because, like I said, I've talked to districts all the time and everybody's looking at some of the, the same kinds of expenditures with this larger pot of money. That way it doesn't affect your general fund budget and other budgets, but just realizing that, <clears throat> excuse me, those non-recurring expenditures are best used with this money. That's great. You know, especially just, you know, back backtracking on our conversation a little bit today mm-hmm. is is some of those things that were difficult to to find funding for year over year maintenance yes. and, and or just the general improvement uh, for things like HVAC or just HVAC. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think a lot of people don't realize that those uh, in some school districts, those systems have been around for 30 or more more years. And this gives the opportunity to at least correct that. Um, uh, or bring it up to today's standard absolutely um, in, in some way and I'll, I'll bring you this kind of with this federal money I'll, I'll give you a quick example of something we've just actually been working on this week um, <clears throat> we're one of those late districts that started after Labor Day so our high school seniors don't graduate until June 24th last day for everybody else is June 22nd summer school starts June 28th oh wow year end is June 30th there's no time for a bunch of summer projects because you'll have children and teachers in the building from June 28th through the last of July or first part of August. Teachers have to be back on August 9th. There's no summer. So we are able to use some money we wouldn't have normally spent for summer maintenance on some of those projects that have gone undone, like a paving project like some, um, some, some fencing that one of our schools needs. So those, this has kind of actually helped having that, that federal money for one-time things, but having a summer that won't be conducive to some of those special projects, but having some money that we can do some of those projects that have been done. And one, of your, one that you're very familiar with is the front entrance to one of our middle schools and how we're needing to do something because of the bird situation. So some of those things we're really trying to, to do some upgrades with. So this has helped that. That's great. I mean, especially since uh, now that you have um, some additional revenue to kind of fund some of these improvements, that might decrease the amount of maybe bond referendums. Yes, or, or absolutely. Other- absolutely. Especially for a career center. And we're getting ready to, to see if we can get us a a career center off the ground because our career center was built in 1966 and facilities for careers and vocational education have changed since 1966. And, you know, we've got, um, you know, GT Tire and Carolina Poly and those manufacturers in Chester County who are wanting us to train their future employees. Well, that means upgraded equipment and upgraded facilities. and, And those are some of the things that they've asked us you know, how can we help? So that's that's going to be nice and be able to use some of this money perhaps to up, offset some of the cost of um, building a career center. Wow, that's great. It's totally complicated. I, I understand. <laughs> I, 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 I admire you for 
going through and looking at all of those formulas for all those 15 different programs and 19 different pots <laughs> yeah. of money on a daily basis. Uh, that's kind of incredible. If there's, if there's uh, any place uh, that you could recommend uh, folks go if they're looking for either updates on policy or a deeper dive into uh, the dollars and cents when it comes to uh, funding education. Do you have any recommendations uh, for folks? I will always sell our association, um, South Carolina Association of School Business Officials, or affectionately known as SCASBO, um, has a wonderful network of folks who are in different phases of their um, different phases of their career. I always say one of the things I'm very grateful for, I mean, I worked for 24 years at the Department of Education in finance and auditing. I don't want to go to school district. Why would I want to go to a school district? I'll just stay here. But an opportunity opened up, and I've been able to use what I learned in 24 years of working with legislators and working with policy and, and funding and to help in my district. And, you know, I, I, there's not a day that goes by that I don't talk to another district about something. Um, and, and just a wonderful network. Um, we talk, we have a consortium up in our area, and we talk to all of those. We have meetings once a month. I encourage any district, whether it's in South Carolina or wherever it is, you've got to form a network with other business officials because you're not out there alone. You're actually, you have people out there who can help you who may have gone through this. Why invent the wheel? Why reinvent the wheel? As a matter of fact, my director of accounting and I were just talking about that today. We're going to do something that we had to do previously. Why do something different when what we've done before has worked? And we share it with other districts. We get things from other districts. And I just encourage folks. And I encourage folks, although it's very interesting, when the legislature is debating the budget, go online and listen. I mean, you can listen and still work at the same time. Um, the Senate has just wrapped up their budget deliberations this week. Senate finance a couple of weeks ago, and now it goes back to the House. Encourage folks to, to listen to what they have to say. Um, we've gone as an organization to um, to build our um, concerns um, about a piece of legislation that was passed in the House and went over to the Senate and went and testified, and they completely changed their tune because they hadn't heard what we needed to say. Um, I think the finance folks sometimes just kind of sit back and let things happen to us, but no, we, we have a voice, too, and we've made a difference. Um, we can just go out, but we share with one another, and it's important. Well, I know we're moving into uh, the, the end of the fiscal year for, for any school district mm -hmm. uh, in the state. So uh, best of luck as you go through that process, that ongoing process every single year. Audits will pick up, I'm sure. Oh, yes. Uh, and all of the funding uh, mechanisms that are coming in, into the future budgets. and budgets <laughs> and, and everything else that goes into it. Absolutely. But I really just appreciate your time today and, and helping us try to, you know, discern uh, how it's working, what's working best, and maybe how we can all be more engaged in the process. We uh, have to be. We have to We have to use our voice because, like I said, for, for many years we just let things happen to us. But we have now gotten um, – more involved in the process and explain how that affects us because things that are passed in Columbia, they don't really know how it affects us and we have to let them know that. Well, after a year of COVID, we are all on spotlights with teachers and schools and yes. school districts and, and appreciate all of them um, because they are such that's such a, such a social fabric mm -hmm. for 
all of our community. So just thank you very much for the work that you've done. Well, thank you, Ben. You bet. And thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Idea Exchange, the Future of K-12 Education podcast series is brought to you by Macmillan Paston Smith. The K-12 studio at Macmillan Paston Smith is focused on helping schools prepare future ready students. Have a question for me or a topic you'd like to address? Please complete the contact form listed in the episode description. Thanks for tuning in to Idea Exchange, the future of K-12 education series. This series is recorded at Bramble Jam Studios in Greenville, South Carolina. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode.